You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. When I was invited to speak as part of this Lenten Lunch series, my mind went back 22 years when I was an associate at Bradley, a law firm here downtown, and John Goodman, who's sitting right back there, invited me to attend the Lenten Lunch. Now at that time, as a lifelong Southern Baptist, about all I knew about Episcopalians is that your services were a little more formal, and unlike most Baptists I knew, you could drink alcohol without hiding it. Well, I accepted John's gracious invitation and attended many Lenten lunches during the time that I worked downtown. I have long appreciated the Advent's ministry to this community and your faithful witness to the gospel. It's a joy to be with you today and tomorrow. The Lenten season brings suffering into our focus. We consider the humiliation and anguish of our Savior. How Jesus had to be the suffering servant of Good Friday before the triumphant king of Easter Sunday. For we who are separated from God because of our sin are reconciled to God only through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. By his wounds, through his suffering and death, we are healed. And as we consider Jesus' affliction in this season, we also tend to contemplate our own suffering. Sickness, death, conflict, injustice, all types of hardship are part of the universal experience of being human. We cannot avoid suffering, so we must learn how to think about suffering and how to deal with it when it inevitably comes. God's word is our guide. James chapter 1 verses 2 through 4 Say, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. When I read those verses, I think of a dear friend who lost her brother to a brain tumor several years ago. He was in his early 40s with three precious children. At his funeral service, the pastor spoke from this passage in James, and I remember having a conversation after the funeral, and my friend in her honest grief expressed confusion at that verse. How do we count this suffering as joy? It's a fair question. It's one thing to consider that question academically, from a classroom or even from behind a pulpit. It's another thing to consider that question as you stand beside the casket of someone you love, in a hospital waiting room, in the ashes of a broken relationship. The question of how we can count our suffering as joy has not been an academic question for my family over the last 18 months. What I wanna do is just share a little bit about our journey in these last 18 months and some of the lessons that we have learned through suffering. In September of 2020, life was good for our family. My wife, Heather, was homeschooling our four children. Ministry was going well, and uh, we had had a lot of sweet family time together in the early stages of the pandemic. Heather had been more fatigued than usual, but really, is that all that unusual for a homeschooling mama of four? 
She had a doctor's appointment that had been scheduled six months earlier, and she called to cancel, thinking it was unnecessary. Well, the doctor's office called back and said, no, we really want to get some blood work based on some results we had in the past. So she was irritated, but she agreed to go. I got a call from her on the way home from the appointment. They had found some concerning numbers in the blood work, and they wanted to do a bone marrow biopsy. A few days later, in that doctor's office, we wept together as she got the diagnosis of acute myeloid leukemia, a type of blood and bone marrow cancer. We received that diagnosis on a Monday, and the doctor told us that Heather would be admitted to UAB on Wednesday and would be in for a long and difficult battle. Uh, when my wife asked her, said, well, what do I do about homeschooling my kids? The doctor just looked at her and said, in the best case scenario, you will not be the primary caretaker for your children for at least the next year. We scrambled to get our kids and work and home situated so I could be with Heather in the hospital. Once at UAB, we met with the oncologist and learned that Heather's specific subtype of leukemia put her at a higher risk, that she would need a stem cell transplant. I made the mistake of Googling the type of leukemia that she had. Don't ever do that. <laughs> and the first two terms that popped up were poor prognosis and very low survival rates. I had also preached three funerals of church members who had died of leukemia, and I knew what kind of journey this might be. We were overwhelmed. After two weeks of intense chemo, the treatment had not slowed down the growth of the leukemia. We started over the night before Heather's birthday with a new chemo regimen and began evaluating clinical trial possibilities at that point. The side effects from so much chemo in a short time were brutal. Heather needed over 60 units of blood and platelets in that time. And when Heather's immune system was completely wiped out from chemo, I began feeling feverish. I immediately packed up, left the hospital, went home, and took a COVID test. And when it came back positive, I just melted, afraid for Heather and feeling very helpless being isolated while she was fighting for her life. Incredibly, Heather did not get COVID, even though I'd been right there by her side that whole time. And in mid-November, we got amazing news that she was in remission, and we could proceed to a stem cell transplant if we could find a donor. Heather's sister was the most obvious candidate, but she was not a full match, and that news was greeted with lots more tears. But there were three possible matches on the international bone marrow registries. And so we, uh, our doctor picked one of those matches. We had a transplant date set for January, and things were, were looking promising. And then three days after Christmas, we get a phone call. Our donor, Heather's donor, had been hospitalized with COVID. And so the transplant had to be postponed. We were devastated and scared. But a couple weeks later, one of the other donors had agreed to donate and to do so very quickly. They were able to reschedule the transplant for February of 2021. All we know about our donor is that it is some man who lives overseas, likely in Europe, who agreed to undergo four days of growth factor shots and a full day of stem cell collection to give my wife, an anonymous stranger to him, a chance at life. He literally gave his blood that she might live. What a parallel to what Jesus has done for us.
to the gospel. Well, in early February 2021, four million donated stem cells made their way across the ocean to UAB, where they were transfused into Heather. It only took about 30 or 35 minutes. The nurses brought us a cake to celebrate her new birthday. The first 100 days were nerve-wracking as we were trying to avoid infection at a time when COVID was raging. But Heather made it to the 100-day mark, infection and cancer-free. And just last month, she had her one-year bone marrow biopsy, and it showed no trace of leukemia. And she's here with me today, right over there. We know the future's uncertain. That is true for every one of us, by the way. But we are truly grateful for where we are and the gift of each new day that we've been given. We have been so humbled by the incredible outpouring of support we've had from family and friends, many of whom are here, and also from our church family at Hunter Street. Though we're grateful for all we've been given, we can still acknowledge that this road has been and in many ways continues to be a hard one. Heather endured significant physical and emotional pain and still has complications that were caused by the treatment necessary to save her life. We spent 71 days in the hospital away from our kids. They had their lives uprooted for much of the past year. And when we did all get back home together, they had to be cloistered out of Heather's protection. They have given up a lot. I walked through a season of intense grief over the loss of the normal sweet life that we had enjoyed. And I dealt with considerable anxiety at the thought of losing Heather and raising four wonderful kids on my own. We've walked through some exhausting days, times of extreme discouragement, even despair. How do we count that as joy? In his book, The Knowledge of the Holy, A.W. Tozer says, what you think about God is the most important thing about you. Our concept of God colors our perspectives, our attitudes, our thoughts, and ultimately our actions. And we can see that in the way that we think about and respond to suffering. If you believe there is no God and the goal of your life is personal happiness, Suffering has no place. It's simply an evil to be avoided. If you believe God exists to reward people who are basically good, as most religious people in the world do, suffering is confusing. We might respond with anger if we feel God is being unfair based on our good record. Or we might respond with guilty resignation if we feel we've done something to deserve it or we just didn't have enough faith. If we believe what the Bible says about God, however, that he is sovereign over all things, that he is always good, and that he works redemptively in our trials, we can respond to suffering with hope. At the cross, we see a remarkable truth. God himself entered into human suffering. Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh dwelt among us, was tempted as we are in every respect, yet perfectly obeyed the Father, suffered in ways we could not even begin to comprehend, and ultimately died in our place on the cross. And why did Jesus Christ suffer and die? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only son. 
Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And Tim Keller says this, We may not know why God allows evil and suffering to continue or why it seems so random. But when we look at the cross, now at least we know what the reason is not. It cannot be that he does not love us. It cannot be that he does not care. So how are we to think about the suffering that we experience? James is not the only place in Scripture that tells us to rejoice in our sufferings. In Romans chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, we see this. We rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. 1 Peter 1, 6 and 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Each of those passages does not say we rejoice for our suffering. We're not masochists seeking out suffering. We are not medieval monks beating ourselves with whips. No, we don't seek out suffering. But the verses say we can rejoice in the suffering that inevitably will come. Why? Because of the product of our trials. James says our trials produce steadfastness, which leads to maturity. Paul says in Romans that suffering produces endurance, which produces character, which ultimately leads to hope. A hope founded not in our changing circumstances, but in our unchanging God. And Peter pictures our suffering as a refiner's fire, where impurities rise to the surface to be skimmed away. And the genuine faith evidenced through the trial results in praise and glory and honor into eternity. The consistent witness of Scripture is that God is at work redeeming things through our trials, that God is deepening our relationship with him, developing our spiritual maturity, equipping us to be more compassionate as we minister to others, and enabling us to glorify God with persevering faith. We can be confident in God's redemptive work in our suffering. We may not see it in the middle of our pain, and we may never fully understand it, but we can trust that he is working, and our suffering is not in vain. After Heather's diagnosis, we quickly reminded ourselves of this truth, that there is purpose in the pain, one verse that deeply impacted our perspective on our journey was 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. We are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. As we packed to leave for UAB, we understood God was sending us there on mission. We didn't know the end of the story, but we were called to be faithful ambassadors for him each day that he gave us. Heather firmly believed there would be nurses, techs, doctors, patients, or others on that oncology floor who needed encouragement and hope, and she was right. And she trusted that God would give her opportunities to share the reason for the hope that was within her, which he did. If you are a follower of Jesus, you are his ambassador wherever you live, work, worship, or go. There are people at your law firm, at your bank, at your company, 
at your ball fields, at your churches, in your neighborhoods, in your communities, who need to know the living resurrection hope we have in our Savior. And that hope is often best communicated in the hardest moments. A second verse we clung to, and we continue to cling to throughout this season, is found in Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, which says in part, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Leukemia was not part of our plans. It wasn't the race we would have picked out, but it was the race that was set before us. And so we have prayed and asked others to pray that we might run it with endurance, keeping our gaze fixed on Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. So what is the race that you are running today? How are you running your race? Look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. I'll close with a truth that has reassured us in our times of deepest fear. I am really good at envisioning worst-case scenarios. I think it goes back to my time as a lawyer. But uh, the first few weeks, I just kept running through the what-ifs in my mind. What if she doesn't make it? What if this chemo doesn't work? What if we have to relocate to Houston for clinical trials? What if, what if, what if? My mind was racing. I had to be reminded of one simple truth over and over and over. God is with us. The basic message of the gospel is clear. Turn to Jesus Christ in repentance and faith. Repentance means to turn your allegiance from following your own desires wherever they lead to following Jesus in obedience. Faith is entrusting that your eternal salvation rests not on what you do, but on what Jesus has done through his life, death, and resurrection. And all who turn to Jesus in repentance and faith are no longer separated from God, but brought into relationship with him, children of a gracious father. God says, you are mine, and I am with you. And the God who is with us now will still be with us in our worst case scenarios. No cancer, no job loss, no relational conflict, no financial difficulty, no war, and no death can ever separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. God is with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. So in whatever hardships we face, we can be faithful today and entrust all our uncertain tomorrows to him. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you will join us at one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.